Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Okay, so with that, we'll do our best to continue our, uh, our study in the book of Ruth this morning. Uh, as we uh, said last week, Ruth is a short little book. It's, it's kind of tucked uh, away in the Old Testament between Judges and Samuel, set in the time of the Judges, which was a, a dark time in Israel's history. But it really, to me, this, this book is there, the, the, there's a, a lot, but one of the most important purposes of it is just that it's a testimony that God is always working, even in dark times. God, God is moving and redeeming and healing and, and, and doing what he does through his people all the time, even when things aren't, aren't good. If you look at, if, you know, if you just look at the big picture in the book of Judges, it's, it's bad, it's a, it's a bad season. But then you look at the book of Ruth and you see God moving in the lives of people in the midst of that bad season and it, it gives you tremendous hope. So, you know, I mean, just I'm thinking, realistically speaking, I mean, you didn't think it could get any worse, right? I, I mean, we're, in the, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. We're all wearing masks. Some of us are wearing masks now because we can't breathe. But that's going on, and then our country is is really divided right now. There's just a tremendous amount of injustice, prejudice, uh, disruption, protests, peaceful and not peaceful, against some of those things. And then, you know, if, if that's not enough, then the whole West Coast is on fire. You know, and I mean, it really is. As bad as it is here, one of my best friends lives in Sacramento, Sacramento is, I think, about five or six hundred miles south of us, and the skies in Sacramento look exactly like they do here right now. It's six hundred miles away. It's like it, this is crazy, you know. It's just there's what what else can, can go on, um, but none of that means that God isn't at work. And and I think it's it's up to us. And we talked about this this morning. It's kind of been the theme all day during our prayer time earlier and, and, and just during worship, I was just moved. But God, what, what are you doing today? What's happening? Where are you? What, help us see. There's a prayer I love in Ephesians where he says, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And I just say, God, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Let us see where you're at today. Let us see what you're doing. How can we be a part of what you're doing in the midst of all this stuff? Everything's crazy right now, but can we be your people in your church? And can we be your hands and feet and touch the lives of people around us? So our, our title for the series really is Finding God in the Margins. And I just want to pray uh, real quick before we get into it that we would be able to see God and find God in the margins and see what God's doing right now. So, Lord, just open your word to us. Help us to look into this book that was written so long ago and to extract hope and vision and life and direction for today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Eli Melech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, first things first. So the title of the book is Ruth, but really it's Naomi's story. Okay, it begins and ends with Naomi, and, and it, it really is her story. Naomi has been compared. I've, I've read uh, several commentaries in the last few weeks. Uh, she's been compared very often to Job. She's like the female Job. Um, there are definitely uh, some parallels. Like Job, Naomi experienced tremendous personal loss. Also like Job, she was not afraid to go to God with that. She's asking why. Why is this happening? She's agonizing before God and at one point even actually blames God. You did this to me. She's very honest in her approach. And I, I think there's something in that. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid, to be honest. I, you, you read the Psalms. We all have our favorite Psalms. You know, Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Leads me in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Yeah, that's lovely. But what about those where David's going, how long, oh God, how long? You know, how long, are you gonna, how long am I going to be in this place? They're both there. And I think we have responsibility. I, I just, man, our worship this morning was so good. I was just, man, I love that. But I, I want to be able to be, have the freedom to say, that's not the space I'm in today. I'm having a hard time today. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. I'm, I don't understand things. And, and be honest with God. I, there's something about the ability to just go before the Lord with, with an open heart and be honest with him that I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid of. This little prologue, these five verses here, it's two paragraphs, five verses. It's about 100 words long. Sets up the rest of the book. That little intro has, you know, in, in it mountains and mountains of pain. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a two-little-paragraph section, but it has, it has tremendous pain in it. We talked about famine last week. To begin with, so Naomi is driven from her home by famine, and Again, none of us have ever really experienced famine. Probably none of us have been driven from our home into a foreign country by any sort of natural circumstance. I know people that that has happened to in other countries. That alone is huge. So they're relocated to a foreign land with foreign people that worship a foreign god. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's part of it. Here's a little bit of a kind of an idea of their journey. That's actually the trip from Moab back to Bethlehem, but they made that reverse journey first from Bethlehem to Moab. Um, it's about 293 kilometers, so I don't know how long that would take on foot, month and a half, two months to walk that far. So you're, you're traveling on foot, you're tired, you're in an unknown place you've never been before. You get there, 
We don't know how long they're there. We're, we're not told initially how long after they arrived that Eli Melek dies, but that's tragic. Okay, so you've been dislocated. You're in a foreign land. Your spouse dies, but it's one, I, I mean, that's hard in itself, but now you're not home. You, don't, you Maybe you have a family plot or whatever. Nothing is normal. What do you do when your spouse dies and, and you're, you know, miles and miles, a country's away from home? Um, but on one hand, you know, Naomi still has her sons and she'll be okay. They'll take care of her, right? The boys will take care of me. They went to Moab, it says, for a while, which is interesting. If I said to you, hey, things aren't very good here right now, so I think we should go to Canada for a while. How would you interpret that? What would that mean? A few weeks? A couple months? Maybe a year? What is, it, what is a while? Well, a decade isn't a while. A decade is a new life. It's a whole new life. You've reestablished life now. And that really plays out because... While they're there, Naomi's sons meet some hot Moabite girls and they get married. You know, that's what happened. Um, think about her. It would be hard. You're a good Jewish mother. You want your boys to marry nice Jewish boys? No. They marry these foreign women. And, and foreign women that worship a foreign god. Solomon married uh, women from other countries too. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab. The detestable god of Moab. That, that is the god of these gals that Naomi's sons married. Over time, it, it becomes kind of apparent that uh, both, both of these young women, Ruth and uh, Orpah, can, can we just, let's call her Oprah. Can we do that? No, you don't want to do that. I always, when I, whenever I see it in print, I want to say Oprah, whatever. It becomes apparent that they're barren. They're, they, they are both barren. And so what was a very, very bad situation has now gotten worse because there will be no more children, no sons, no family to carry on the family line. That, that, that would all end and die here in Moab with her and her kids. Barrenness is a tremendously painful reality. If you've ever had a friend or family member pray with someone, walk with someone through that, it, it is incredibly, incredibly painful. There's a sense of loss. Uh, there's a sense of failure for something that you have no control over. All of that is true. All of that is true today but it was, it was epic in biblical times. I mean, barrenness plays such a profound role in the Old Testament. You read through stories of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and the desperate measures that people would go to to overcome that. So in some cases, they, they would actually, uh, you know, recruit one of their servants or slaves as a surrogate to be impregnated by their husband and carry on the family line. Well, we would call that sex trafficking today. That's not exactly, you know, a good answer. Uh, Hannah made a vow to God. If you give me a son, I'll give him back. I mean, there, there, there was definitely a stigma. There was a desperation. There was something attached biblically to barrenness that was so profound. And I think after 
10 years in this place, Malon and Killian are kind of weighing out their options. What are we going to do here? How, how do, what, do, do we get different wives? Do we go the, the, the servant girl route? Um, you know, and then you, while they're in that place of trying to figure out how to continue their family line, they die. Again, Naomi's story. Her husband has died. Her sons are died, have died. She's alone in a foreign land. No covering. No, 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 no hope for income. No protection. No support. Nothing. She's, she's alone, far, far away from home. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are... They're very vulnerable. They're what we would call today at risk. Um, they're open to uh, all kinds of exploitation. And, you know, again, so, so just for context, Book of Judges took place about 1,000 years before Jesus. So now we are 2,000 years removed from Jesus, 3,000 years later. And how much in our world has changed? I mean, um, if you need any evidence that we live in a fallen world, I would say that's it. Um, there's a book called Half the Sky that was written just a couple years ago. In the, book, in the book, the authors say systemic human rights violations against women and girls globally is the paramount moral challenge of the 21st century. Um, this is a powerful book. I didn't read the whole thing. I read sections of it. I would, I'm not recommending it to you. Um, it, it's good. It, it's, it's powerful but it's incredibly, incredibly painful. It's true stories, real stories of real people, and you, you, you cannot read it without your heart just breaking. I mean, it's just overwhelming. If you do ever feel um, motivated to become involved, I, I will recommend an organization to you. Some of you are familiar with Love 146. I have some friends, different friends, that have been involved with Love 146 in different ways, and they work to... Uh, to reverse and stop and, and intervene in human trafficking all over the world. And it's a, it's a powerful organization, and you can look them up online, and there are ways that you can support them just financially as well as by being active in different ways. But I'll say that in the days when the judges ruled, there were no organizations like that. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law are completely vulnerable to whatever might come their way. So a couple questions come to mind, at least for me. One is, on a purely human level, how much pain can one person take? What's the threshold? What, 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 when do you say enough is enough? When do you give up the ghost? You just say, I can't, I can't take anymore. You know, I mean, I look at this woman's story and I go, what, what else can happen to her? On a deeper level, though, theologically, I think the question that everybody has but might be a little bit afraid to ask is, why would God let that happen? Why, will, why, why would God let that happen to me? Um, and, and that's the all-important question, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that the question that everybody wants to know and, and most of us are afraid to ask? In regards to suffering today, there is tremendous theological debate um, there's one school that says that suffering should not exist. 
that suffering of any kind, including sickness, has no place in the kingdom of God, and that it is, in fact, a lack of faith. If you had more faith, you wouldn't be in that place. And I've been told that. I've been told you don't have to accept that. What that does, let me just put all the cards to the table, is that uh, it heaps guilt on the person that's already hurting. Oh, life, life's hard right now? Well, if you had a little more faith, it'd get better. It just puts guilt on that person that's already in pain. It doesn't hold up for two reasons, and, and I'll, I'll close with this. First, it, it doesn't add up biblically, and, and, and we'll talk more about that later. But, but second, it doesn't make any room at the table for anybody who is in pain or is sick or is suffering, and that is just not the heart of God. So, so n- n- next week, uh, with, with Ruth as a context, I, I, I want to take some time and actually look at the theology of suffering and talk a little bit about, biblically, uh, perspective-wise, what, what does that mean? How does that work? And John Wimber has a, a great little book that I'll extract most of the information there from on suffering, kingdom suffering. But I want to close today with the words of Jesus because they just remind me that at Jesus' table, there's room for everybody. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you're going through. You can be as weak and broken and as much pain as anybody, and there's still room at the table. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Um, so I, I did do a little study this week. Weary is weary. It's just tired. You're worn out. Burdened, the word is the word that you have, they use when an animal is a pack animal and they're, you know, you put all the stuff on them, they're carrying a, a heavy load. So somebody that's worn out and has a heavy load and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why don't we stand? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.